This morning, we're talking about being God's people. Um, we, uh, Anna said this in her talk, but when we said yes to Christ and we proclaimed him as our Lord, we did a kingdom transfer. We transferred out of the kingdom of this world, out of the kingdom of the enemy, and transferred ourselves into the kingdom of God. And that's kind of a big deal. And the rest of the weekend, really, we've been talking about um, these keys to living in the kingdom of God or to keeping ourselves in the kingdom of God, to continuing to choose the kingdom of God. We talked about we got to be aware we have an enemy. we got to be aware there are two kingdoms. We need to be aware of the enemy and his tactics. Um, we talked about forgiveness. God's kingdom is a kingdom of mercy, right? We talked about having authority in this kingdom by our baptism and renunciation, and we talked about the Father's blessing. And last night we had a little chance to pray prayers for deliverance, that the Lord Jesus would deliver us of, you know, some of these things that maybe creep in or cling to us from the old kingdom that we transferred out of. But I like to think of it a little bit like a spring cleaning. <laughs> you know, I was like telling someone as we were praying, like, this is like a spring cleaning. We're going to open up the windows. We're going to get a fresh breeze through here. Like, maybe you did that last year, but we're going to do it again now. We're going to sweep out the floors and dust out the closet, right? So we had the chance to do that. That's really good to do regularly. Like, these kinds of prayers of deliverance doesn't have to, like, wait for a retreat. But you have some tools now. Forgiveness, renunciation. You could do this anytime you start to feel a little gunky, Right? Um, confession, right? We just, that's such a good sacrament. <laughs> we love that sacrament. Um, so we have some tools and let's use these tools. Let's not, you know, just like always wait. I don't know, until someone tells us we're going to have some deliverance. You know, like, let's be delivered every day. So that's kind of where we've been. Um, I think I said this maybe in a talk that I gave earlier in the semester, but We've done a kingdom transfer. If we want to love the king, which I think we do, we have to love his kingdom. And his kingdom is made of people. His kingdom is made of the person on your right and on your left, in front of you, all in this room. His kingdom is made up of the people of God. And when we did that kingdom transfer, we made ourselves a part of this people of God. And so... Um, you're a part of a people. <laughs> um, it's part of the gig of being a Christian. If you are a Christian in Christ, you have put on Christ, you are the Lord's, and because we have all put on Christ, we're all in Christ, we are Christ's body, we are Christ's people, and Jesus is the cornerstone. In Ephesians 2.19, <coughs> says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Peter, one Peter. Sorry, not you. <laughs> you looked right up. <laughs> one Peter. Come to him, a living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. 
And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And further on, you are a chosen people, a you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were not a people, we were not a people, but now we are a people. I was reflecting on, has anybody ever moved? Yeah. I moved in fifth grade, and I was like thinking about that. I was like thinking about kingdom transfers. <laughs> it's like location transfers, right? So I was thinking about in fifth grade when I moved, just the it kind of like a reset that had to happen. There were new people around me. I was in a new town, Fort Recovery, like no longer Pandora, but like I had to get to know that place and those people. I had to build new friendships. And then even further down, when I moved to Columbus, my first year on staff, um, to me there was such a particular experience of when I moved, there was like a, these are my people. They're the only ones I've got. I remember like three months in being on this retreat and uh, being like, I just want a room with the missionaries because they're like the longest standing relationships in my life right now and I have known them for three months. <laughs> And there's just this real, very real reality for me that, like, these are my people now. It's like the women that I'm living with, the brothers in the household across the alley, right? Like, these are my people, and they're my brothers and my sisters. And I had a choice to, like, go all in. And I remember praying in the chapel at Newman sometime in my first year, and I was just like, man, God, there's so many people. <laughs> and I don't know Maria DeRue, and I can't love Katrina Booth. Like, who are they even? And there's just like a, a special grace in that moment that the Lord gave me. Like, you don't need to know them like a best friend, but you can love them. They are your sister in the, in this, in the Lord. So I just wanted to share that. Maybe you've had that experience before. Maybe not, but I think it is like it's a similar, we're transferred into a kingdom and we have a people, a family. Okay, that's, that's the intro. We are a people. Once we were not, but we are now. And we've done a kingdom transfer. We want to love the king. We must love his kingdom, and that means loving his people. And I, was, I really liked what Brother Jude said about being a person. A person means like a being in relationship with one another. So we're talking about a people. We're a persons in relationship with one another. So we're just going to, I have two characteristics that we're going to talk about this morning that mark being God's people. And the characteristics come from God himself because God is a communion of persons he is a unity. And this is the first characteristic we're going to talk about. So when we think about being a people, we want to think about unity. Um, God loves unity. He loves it. Jesus' prayer is for us to be united. 
He says, I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them, you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for us to be united. Think about, like, what does that mean to you? We hear that word a lot, I think. Unity. But, like, what does it actually mean? Um, so JP2 has this encyclical called, I have to read it off of here, Novo Millennio Inuente, at the beginning of the new millennium. And in it, he talks about, he uses this phrase, spirituality of communion. And how intriguing. <laughs> spirituality of communion, what does that mean? Well, spiritual first, it doesn't mean theoretical or like unreal or up here. But the spirituality is the work of the Holy Spirit that has a real everyday consequence that can be seen. Like a spirituality has a concrete, like visibility. Like it makes things happen <laughs> in our life. So the, a chief characteristic of being a people is that we're united. And though our unity is rooted in the spirit, it's a unity that can be seen and experienced by ourselves and others. It's expressed through practical means. Paul uses uh, the concrete image of the human body. You guys know that one. Right? That's a concrete image. And he also urges us, and this one I'm going to read. This is actually, this is our scripture, how appropriate for the year. But he urges us that, he, that we would live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Be completely humble. This, these are the practicals. Be humble and gentle. Be patient. We ought to be able to experience one another and myself being humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all. This is what unites us. Father of all, who is over all united, or over all and through all and in all, he gave some to be apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Right? Like, it is the Lord. And each of us is so different. But we can experience a real unity in the Lord. Okay, I really love the um, excerpts here. So I'm just going to ask different ones of us. Um, Adeline, if you could read the first one. Um, who else? Brother Brennan, you can read the second one. Peter, the third one. And Monica, the last one. So you can stand up and read it loud. You can share. Which one am I reading? Third. Who did I say first? Adeline. Yep. Innuendo, the, that one. The New Millennium. Spirituality of communion also means an ability to think of our brothers and sisters in faith within the profound unity of the mystical body. And therefore, as those who are part of me, this makes us able to share their joys and sufferings, to sense their desires, and attend to their needs, to offer them deep and genuine friendship. 
these are like the practical things that we want to experience in our body, right? So we want to be able to experience thinking of others as people who are a part of me. The spirituality of communion implies also the ability to see what is positive in others, to welcome it and prize it as a gift from God, not only as a gift for the brother or sister who has received it, but also a gift for me. I love that one. It's like, you know, okay, I'm trying to think of an example. It's like, my roommate is an awesome cook and really good at hospitality. Like, she is the best. And instead of being jealous of that or wanting to be just like that, I can celebrate that that gift the Lord has given her, and it's a gift for me to be, for me to enjoy and to celebrate. The spirituality of communion means finally to know how to make room for our brothers and sisters, bearing each other's burdens, and resisting the selfish temptations which constantly best us and provoke competition, careerism, distrust, and jealousy. I think that one speaks for itself. That's good. <laughs> Let us have no illusions. Unless we follow this spiritual path, external structures of communion will serve very little purpose. They would become mechanisms without a soul, masks of communion rather than its means of expression and growth. Let's not have a mask of communion in our people. But let us love one another and let us practice a spirituality of communion. And these practical means, let us make room for our brothers and sisters. Let us celebrate and prize their gifts. Let us think of them as a part of me. Like, Daniel is a part of me. Like, we are a part of each other. Cynthia, like, you are a part of the body of Christ, and that means that you are a part, like it's a personal thing, you know? So let's, I wanted to, I gave you the outlines, because I was like, I want them to be able to reference those things specifically, and I knew you wouldn't be able to get it all down. So let's pray with those. Um, take it home. So some consequences of unity, when we, when we have unity, one consequence is that we are going to be dying to ourselves. That's going to be a consequence. And that's really good. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Living unity means that we're going to adopt an attitude of corporate mindedness and humility and that attitude is going to give rise to new behaviors. It ought to give rise to new behaviors in us, which are behaviors that are not self-centered. They're others-centered. They're, others they're body-centered. Another consequence, it just it takes time. We have to be willing to give unity the time. And there's a cost. Our life is not product-oriented, but it's corporate. It's relationship-oriented. So a consequence of living unity is that it requires an emphasis on relationships for their own sake. I'm going to say that one again. 
unity requires an emphasis on relationships for their own sake. Just because you're a part of me. I want to enjoy being with you. Like, we don't have to always be productive. This was actually like a really big thing for me because I'm like a pretty productive kind of person. I'm like, let's do stuff. And um, even like in high school, I would mainly talk to people if we had something to talk about, like that we were working on together. And there was like a real shift that had to happen in me that came with baptism in the Holy Spirit that I was like, oh my gosh, how are you? There goes my water. It's okay. Um, <laughs> there was like a real shift. I remember like looking at my friend and being like, how are you? Like actually, and what makes you tick? And kind of wondering just for her own sake. So it's like a little silly, but there is a real change in me. So we want to have an emphasis on relationships for their own sake. So think about, here's an image. Think about a strong family or a marriage. Um, I think about my parents. I think they're like pretty united, but that didn't come without years and years and years of dedication, being dedicated to that unity and that relationship and years of sacrifice to experience a common identity. So we can expect that we'll need to be dedicated and we can expect that we'll have to make sacrifices for unity. But a great consequence is that unity is really fruitful and it's really great. It's really fruitful and it is a blessing to us. It's a joy. Okay. That's unity. Um, let's have like three people call out what you want to remember. JP? Our life is relationship oriented. Our life is relationship oriented. Anybody else? Anna Dirk, you got something? Sacrifice in time. Yeah. She got stole, but um, she stole it. But it does like it does take time, but it also takes wasting time. Wasting time. I love that. That actually was a phrase that I, in the past, have reflected on. Like, I want to waste time on people. That that really takes a choice for me. Somebody else over here. Uh, yeah. You are a part of me. It's personal. Yeah. Okay, so the second characteristic, key characteristic, and again, this comes from God himself and who he is. He is holy. Because we're in the image of God, we too want to be holy, a holy people. So holy, holiness, I went too soon. A main point here is that holiness is not an attitude. And holiness, it's not just a goal that we're after. Holiness is a way that we live. Holiness is how we live appropriately to who we are right now. Holiness is the way we live as new creations, each of us grafted into this body of people. It's the way we live, the way we bear the character of God. Holiness is being a, pe being a people is living out the way that God has made us to be. 
This is holiness. And God says, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. If we're in Christ and in the Lord, he is holy. And it kind of, it necessitates us rising to that holiness so that we can be in him, right? Holy means distinct and set apart. And we want to live distinct from the old. Um, an important aspect of being holy is that we make our primary identity with Christ, with God and his people. So what does that mean? It means that um, we find that we can experience the people of God as family. If we're in Christ, if, if I'm in Christ and you're in Christ and we all have the same father, you are my brother, you are my sister, right? And that is we find our primary identity there, not in like our work or school or what we do or whatever else, or with even with other people outside of the people of God. But we primarily identify with the people who have bound themselves to Christ and put themselves in Christ. And so if God has something to say about an area like our identity, our behavior, our speech, our attitude, we want to listen, and we want to do it his way. We want to identify with Christ and put on Christ and put on his characteristics. Is this making sense? This part was like a little more mixy in my notes when I was <laughs> writing it out, but I think that makes sense, right? Like we want to put on the character of Christ and identify with him above all else, and we want to live appropriate to who we are. So just a little aside is that this requires self-control. So I'm just gonna say like a little snippet, a note about self-control. I was like, here's a tool for us in our walk as a Christian people, as the people of God in unity and holiness, especially holiness. Self-control is the ability to choose the right response in various situations rather than being controlled by our desires and emotions. Is that on your outline? Self-control is the ability to choose the right response, no matter the circumstance, rather than being controlled by our desires and emotions. Self-control means that we can choose the right response. God will not make us holy without our cooperation. That's not the way he works. <laughs> we need to be able to exercise our will in our walk to holiness. Self-control is a fruit. Do so you guys remember the fruits in Galatian? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I might be missing one or two. Fruits must be cultivated. Fruits don't happen overnight. I can't say tonight, like, okay, tomorrow I am going to, I'm going to, like, be self-controlled in every area and always choose the right tomorrow, starting tomorrow on, right? That doesn't work that way. Fruits need to be cultivated. So we need to be ready to persevere in a season, and, maybe, and it's going to be a long season. It's like a life season, <laughs> our etern eternity life season. <laughs> we need to be ready to persevere 
in a long season of growth that will provide, produce the fruit of consistent self-control. So a couple ways how we can grow in it. We need to decide on it. Want it. Do you want self-control? Decide on it and work on it. It helps to live in an environment that's supportive and that's orderly. That's really helpful. And when we, we grow in self-control, it actually spills over into like all the areas of our life. Um, it strengthens our discipline in other areas of life. So the scriptures really advocate for fasting as a practical way to grow in self-control. But another way is also exercising. I don't know how many, like I'm a runner, or I, I mean, don't often very much anymore. But like I, I run, right? And especially when I'm training for races, it requires a lot of self-control because I want to stop. And in high school, I was like, we would do, no, middle school, we ran, tra we ran cross country, it's two miles, two and a half. And then in high school, it goes to three. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And my coach was like, Emily, you're not going to die. Stop running like you're going to die. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're right. I'm probably not going to die. I could go harder. You know, like I could go faster. But it requires a lot of self-control, right? So exercise. Abstaining. John just gave a talk about media. Have we examined, like, are we being kind of compulsive in our use, or do we actually have a choice? Um, great. So maybe consider taking one of these practices for self-control. And again, I just want to make a little note. I think what can be tricky about this fruit is that we grasp for control. And that's not what we want to do. Self-control isn't about, like, I'm choosing and deciding everything I want, and if I don't get it the way I wanted it, like, that's not what self-control is about. Self-control is about freedom. It's the freedom to choose what is right in any circumstance, to, to live the way God would want. Choose what is right as God defines what is right, not like what I'm deciding is right right now. Does that make sense? So let's like be on guard a little bit, you know. Let's let's grow the fruit of self-control, but not get like obsessed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is good. We can have faith that we can grow to be who God has made us to be. Let's have hope. God has made us holy, and we are different and distinct from the old creation. Okay, so consequences of being a part of a holy people. Ready? We're, we're rounding third base here, I think. You see that right? Like coming up on the end. <laughs> consequences of being a part of a, a distinct and holy people. Um, we just need to want to have realistic expectations. One thing that might happen is that it might be uncomfortable. If we are living holy lives, it might be uncomfortable. And it might put some people off. And this is kind of a tricky thing because um, while we want to be, we do want to be holy, we also want to exercise wisdom in how we conduct ourselves so that people who are not living as a part of God's people can still relate to us. So we do want people to be able to still relate to us because some people will be drawn into the family. We want people to be able to experience the open door of being drawn into a family. But, I mean, 
there were times that Jesus was rejected. Wasn't he like the most attractive man, but also like people rejected him because there were places where he was like, no, it's my body. <laughs> or, you know, like there were certain things that there were lines that he drew. And there are going to have to be lines that we draw in being part of a distinct people. And we want to balance that with how do we allow the door to be open to people so that we're not a complete weirdo and turn off to them and make them turn away. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. We're almost done. So the blessings of being a part of God's people, to recap, unity, guys, the Lord bestows his life where there is unity among his people. The Lord bestows his life and his blessing where there is unity among his people. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like the precious oil poured on the head running down the beard. It's like the dew, if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows his blessing there, even life forevermore. So unity, we want it. The Lord bestows his blessing on us when we are united. We need to decide for it and work for it, those practical things. Our life together is a gift from God. When unity and holiness are lived well, it fosters this gratitude in us right? And in other people. To be God's holy people is to fulfill his plan for us. It's to declare God's goodness to others. It's to belong to him and receive mercy from him and blessing that he wishes to give. Being a part of a people spurs us to love God better through prayer. It gives us opportunity and trains us to love others what did Brother Jude say? Like, the gift of time is so that we can learn how to love. God gave us this time to learn how to love. Being a part of a people trains us and gives us opportunities to love through service. It draws us out of ourselves. It brings order and peace. It forms us in holiness, which allows us to witness more powerfully because people see how we love one another. It gives us security and identity. It brings life because it fulfills God's plan for his kingdom. This is God's plan for his kingdom. And if we want to be a part of his kingdom, we want to fulfill his plan. We want to, be, we want to work toward the king's plan for his kingdom, and that's to make a holy people set apart for himself, and we get to be a part of that. So let's guard and zealously foster the gift that it is to be a part of God's people and these characteristics of unity and holiness. Can we do that? Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your words to us. We thank you for inviting us to be a part of your people the people you have chosen as your own, a holy people. God, we pray for your anointing. We pray that we would be able to have grace to enter into your life of unity, to enter into a life of unity with one another, 
We pray to enter into a life of holiness. We ask that you would guard us from any flaming arrows of the evil one. Set a shield around us. Help us to be um, shrewd, <laughs> to know how the enemy seeks to destroy and tear apart your people. And let us guard and protect your body here on earth. We want to be a part of this work of your kingdom, Lord. Jesus, we just thank you for this weekend and we ask for your blessing. Amen.